Good morning, I'm Pastor Gillespie from St. John Evangelical Lutheran Church and School, Sherman Center, Random Lake, Wisconsin. It's good to have you with us here today for the Congregation of Prayer, a guide for daily meditation and prayer around God's Word. It is Saturday, October 28th, 2023, and our Congregation of Prayer today um, considers the, well, it's actually going to do a couple things. (laughs) We're going to uh, look at tomorrow's epistle reading, not the Old Testament, um, although I'm going to talk about it a bit. Uh, It's a long reading, so that's why I'm going to avoid it here. Uh, We'll read it all tomorrow. It's the uh, account of creation, followed by Ephesians 6, the famous uh, armament of God and how he equips us um, for uh, warfare. Of course, that warfare theme is appropriate given uh, Tuesday is the Reformation, is Reformation Day, a lesser feast, um, but recognized amongst our churches. Uh, Some churches transfer it to Sunday, and uh, some years I do that, some years I don't. Uh, You always have the opportunity on Sunday afternoon to go to the Reformation Rally, which uh, the churches of um, the county put on in uh, over in uh, at Sheboygan Lutheran High School. So you're welcome to uh, join the rally. Let's see. And what was I going to say? Oh, yes. Warfare language, right? How uh, mighty fortresses are God, right? Um, It's defensive warfare. It's not uh, aggressive warfare. All right. So we we have our we are given our defenses against the attacks of the devil. Right. Uh, it's Christ who is the aggressor who fights the battle and wins for us. All right. And then uh, actually today is the feast day of uh, Saint Saints. Who did we say here? Sorry. Yeah, Saint Simon and Saint Jude. Saint Simon and Saint Jude. Uh, so here's my question for you. Uh, something to think about. Uh, why do we transfer? Uh, feasts like Reformation Day to the previous Sunday, All Saints Day to the following Sunday, but we don't transfer transfer a nearer feast, St. Simon and St. Jude, which is of the same class as far as uh, categories of, of saints days uh, and feast days. Why don't we transfer that day to Sunday? Why do we not recognize St. Simon and St. Jude on Sunday? Mm, here's the question, yes, isn't it? And uh, maybe it has a little bit to do with the nature of Reformation Day, and uh, the way that it can be rightly observed, recognizing how um, the Lord is constantly reforming um, his conservative church. So that we are a conservative Reformation church, which actually is a contradiction of terms, or a reforming um, conservative church, which would also be a um, contradiction of terms. And uh, um, yeah, so it's just a question for you. Uh, why transfer those days and not transfer the other days to Sunday proper? All right. Or even a day like uh, Christmas. Why do we celebrate Christmas on the day rather than transferring it to the nearest Sunday? Hmm. Calendars. All right. Uh, just something to think about. Uh, but today we'll, we'll actually recognize St. Simon and St. Jude here in our daily prayer. All right. Good. So let's begin. In the name of the Father, and of the Son, and of the Holy Spirit. Amen. I believe in God the Father Almighty, maker of heaven and earth, and in Jesus Christ, his only Son, our Lord, who was conceived by the Holy Spirit, born of the Virgin Mary, suffered under Pontius Pilate, was crucified, died, and was buried. He descended into hell. The third day he rose again from the dead. He ascended into heaven and sits at the right hand of God the Father Almighty. From thence he will come to judge the living and the dead. I believe in the Holy Spirit, the Holy Christian Church, the communion of saints, the forgiveness of sins, the resurrection of the body, and the life everlasting. Amen. Okay, let's pray our psalm for the week one more time. And remember, 
the multiplicity of understandings of uh, Jerusalem, Zion, uh, the Holy Mountain, um, or the fortress, right, that we talked about earlier this week. Let's pray it. Great is the Lord, and greatly to be praised in the city of our God. His holy mountain, beautiful in elevation, is the joy of all the earth. Mount Zion in the far north, the city of the great king. Within her citadels, God has made himself known as a fortress. For behold, the kings assembled, they came on together. As soon as they saw it, they were astounded, they were in panic, they took to flight. Trembling took hold of them there, anguish as of a woman in labor. By the east wind, you shattered the ships of Tarshish. As we have heard, so we have seen in the city of the Lord of hosts, in the city of our God, which God will establish forever, which are we have thought on your steadfast love, O God, in the midst of your temple. As your name, O God, so your praise reaches to the ends of the earth, your right hand is filled with righteousness. Let Mount Zion be glad, let the daughters of Judah rejoice because of your judgments. Walk about Zion, go around her, number her towers, consider well her ramparts, go through her citadels, that you may tell the next generation that this is God, our God forever and ever. He will guide us forever. Glory be to the Father, and to the Son, and to the Holy Spirit, as it was in the beginning, is now, and will be forever. Amen. Right? So, yeah, maybe think of the Reformation a little bit here, um, that you are the mighty fortress that God has built up. And, of course, the church is his mighty fortress, which he has built up. And, of course, this looks forward to the mighty fortress, um, the city on, on the mountain that refers to the heavenly dwellings that God has prepared for us. Right? And, of course, it referred in the past um, to a particular geography, which was an icon of, of that sacred geography that is to come, the heavenly dwelling. Good. Let's say our memory verse one more time for the week. This is a faithful saying and worthy of all acceptance, that Christ Jesus came into the world to save sinners of whom I am chief. 1 Timothy 1 verse 15. Try it again. Uh, See if you can do it by memory without looking, right? This is a faithful saying and worthy of all acceptance, that Christ Jesus came into the world to save sinners of whom I am chief. 1 Timothy 1 verse 15. All right, and our catechism, um, first article of the Apostles' Creed. Say it together. I believe in God, the Father Almighty, maker of heaven and earth. What does this mean? I believe that God has made me and all creatures, that he has given me my body and soul, eyes, ears, and all my members, my reason and all my senses, and still takes care of them. He also gives me clothing and shoes, food and drink, house and home, wife and children, land, animals, and all I have. He richly and daily provides me with all that I need, to support this body and life. He defends me against all danger and guards and protects me from all evil. All this he does only out of fatherly, divine goodness and mercy, without any merit or worthiness in me. For all this, it is my duty to thank and praise, serve and obey him. This is most certainly true. Okay. Uh, before we read the epistle for tomorrow, um, again, t- tomorrow the Goss, or excuse me, the Old Testament text is from Genesis chapter 1 all the way through to Genesis chapter uh, 2 verse 3. So it's quite a, quite a lengthy reading. It's not appropriate, I would think, to break up the story of creation into parts. So we hear um, the whole account, and of course we'll hear the account of the fall into sin when it comes time for Lent. Uh, but the uh, creation, of course creation is, is our, I call it the foundational story. Um, of our 
our making and of our origin in God and in his, um, well, by his speaking, right? I'd say the foundation story of deliverance would be the Exodus, right? Um, and then the foundational story of, um, you know, that we look forward to is, is perhaps the establishing of the kingdom under David, I suppose, all right? And so those become um, these stories that we tell ourselves over and over throughout the, well, especially throughout the year, throughout the church year. Yeah, I think the, at least Old Testament stories, all right? Um, so creation, we'll hear it tomorrow. It's appropriate for us to do that. Uh, one of the interesting statements in the creation account is in chapter 1 at the end, chapter, uh, or verse 26, when, um, when Moses records uh, God's word. Let us make, a, make man according to our image, and likeness, image and likeness. Now, you know, those two uh, expressions will come up in the gospel text in a couple weeks. Uh, we had it in our Wednesday uh, gospel this past week, um, when Jesus holds up the coin, whose image and likeness is this, all right? Which, of course, then is meant to not only just ask the literal, um, whose face is stamped on the coin and whose name is it, um, but, and that's Caesar, of course, um, but also to recall the creation story to say, wait a minute, um, what about us? We are made in God's image and likeness. So who do we belong to? To God. You'll hear that in a few weeks um, on the 12th, right? That's our gospel text for that day. Listen to what Luther has to say, though. Um, and I think there's a, a few things here that uh, maybe you hadn't thought about. So we'll see. All right. Here again, Moses employs a new expression. He does not say, let the sea be set in motion. Let the earth bring forth herbs and let it bring forth. He says, let us make. Therefore, he includes an obvious deliberation and plan. He did nothing similar in the case of the earlier creatures. There, without any deliberation or counsel, he said, let, let the sea be put in motion and let the earth produce, etc. But here he wants to create man, or when he wants to create man, God summons himself to a council and announces some sort of deliberation. All right, so who's the us? Um, but we'll get to that in a minute. Uh, first, Moses here points out an outstanding difference between these living beings, the rest of living beings, and man when he says that man was created by the special plan and providence of God. All right, that's what it be, means to be made in the image of God. Moses therefore indicates that to those who are spiritually minded that we were created for a better life in the future than this physical life uh, would have been, even if our nature had remained unimpaired. Now that's a Luther opinion, but I appreciate that, that there's always an, already an indication uh, from creation that man would ascend um, uh, to be to stand before God face to face, as he began. Uh, but Adam, or excuse me, Adam was not to live without food, drink, or procreation. But at a predetermined time, after the number of saints had become full, quoting the New Testament, these physical activities would have come to an end, and Adam, together with his descendants, would have been translated to the eternal spiritual life. All right. So this is. Uh, Luther, a little speculative, but speaking of the command to be fruitful and multiply and fill the earth. Well, once that is complete, then, then the command has been fulfilled. And then um, Luther is suggesting that then he would, would have been translated into the eternal spiritual life. You, you see how John in his apocalypse picks up on this language um, in saying that, um, that the earth will not be judged until the whole host of heaven are numbered. Uh-huh, you see? So um, heaven becoming the new heavens and new earth um, to fulfill uh, what was irrevocably broken um, by Adam. All right. Um, Eileen jumped in when it says us, it's referring to, well, to God, the Holy Trinity. And I would agree. And we'll get to that in a second here. Um, Adam had a twofold life, a physical one and an immortal one. Although 
This was not yet clearly revealed, but only in hope that he would live forever, right? And that the, the, the earth would be filled, all right? In the second place, to Eileen's point, the word let us make is made is aimed at the mystery of our faith by which we believe that from eternity there is one God and that there are three separate persons in one Godhead, the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. Of course, the Jews try to get around this passage um, and advance nothing sound against it. All right? Um, and then in the next place, this is also sure that it cannot be said in any other way that we were created according to the image of the angels. Now, that's just an assertion Luther throws out and then skips ahead. Um, I'm not so sure about that. But in the fifth place, here both appear. Let us make and he made in the plural and in the singular. Thereby, Moses clearly and forcibly shows us that within and in the very Godhead and the creating essence, there is one inseparable and eternal plurality. Right? Three persons, one God. All right? So this is the sure indication of the Trinity. That in one divine essence, there are three persons, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. Not even so far as their activity is concerned, therefore, is God separated. So sometimes, even Luther in his small catechism, indicating the Father is creator, the Son is redeemer, and the Spirit is sanctifier, you don't want to drive that so far that the three persons become distinct, and that not all three persons are active in creation, or all three persons are active in, um, in redemption, or all three persons are active in sanctification. No. Um, it, it's maybe a, in a sense of priority, but not in a sense of exclusivity. I guess you'd say it that way. All right. So the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit, one and same God, is the author and creator of the same work. It's not possible in this manner to divide God subjectively. For the Father is not known except in the Son and through the Holy Spirit. I mean, you can't even know the Father apart from the Son. And by the work of the Spirit. Uh, Now, to the, hmm, that we are made in God's image later on, um, this is connected then to dominion. right? If we're in the image of God, then we're also given um, with the, the authority of God. It's far, something far more distinguished and excellent, Luther says, the image of God. Since obviously no leprosy of sin adhered either to the, his reason or to his will. Both his inner and his outer sensations were all of the purest kind. His intellect was the clearest, his memory was the best, his will was the most straightforward, all in the most beautiful tranquility of mind without any fear of death and without any anxiety. To these inner qualities came also those most beautiful and superb qualities of the body and all, of all the limbs, qualities in which he surpassed all the remaining living creatures. I am fully convinced, Luther says, all the remaining, um, all convinced that before Adam's sin, his eyes were so sharp and clear that it surpassed those of the lynx and eagle. He was stronger than the lions and the bears, whose strength is very great. He handled them in a way that we handle puppies. Both the loveliness and the quality of the fruits he used as food were far superior to what they are now. But since the fall, um, these things are corrupt. Therefore, my understanding of the image of God is this. This is Luther. And he's saying mine, so again, this is his, his personal approach. That Adam had um, had it in his being, and and that he not only knew God and believed that he was good, but that he also lived a life that was wholly good. That is, he was without the fear of death or any other danger and was content with God's favor. In this form, it reveals itself in the instance of Eve, who speaks with the serpent without any fear, as we do to a lamb or a dog. For this reason, too, if we should transgress his command, God announces the punishment. On whatever day you eat of this tree, you will die. As though he said, Adam and Eve, now you are living without fear. Death you have not experienced, nor have you seen it. This is my image by which you are living, just as God lives. But if you sin, you will lose this image and you will die. So uh, we even sing that in our hymns, God's image lost. There are certain aspects of it that are retained, but as far as our ability to stand before God in fear, um, no fear of death or of judgment, 
um, that has been lost apart from um, the faith given in Christ. All right. So speaking of faith in Christ, um, that would connect. That would be a nice connection then to the epistle reading, speaking of who the real enemy is. Right. Finally, my brethren, be strong in the Lord and in the power of His might, and put on the whole armor of God, that you may be able to stand against the wiles of the devil. For we do not wrestle against flesh and blood, but against principalities, against powers, against rulers of the darkness of this age, against spiritual hosts of wickedness in the heavenly places. Therefore, take up the whole armor of God that you may be able to withstand in the evil day, and having done all, to stand. Stand, therefore, having girded your waist with truth, having put on the breastplate of righteousness, having shod your feet with the preparation of the gospel of peace, and above all, taking the shield of faith, with which you will be able to quench all the fiery darts of the wicked one, and take the helmet of salvation and the sword of the Spirit, which is the word of God. All right, so this is quite a popular text. Um, There's many illustrations of this. Of course, this is the picture of a soldier. Um, But I think we sometimes miss the first part of the text. We we focus on the armament, you know, the defensive um, weapons, but we miss um, the context. And the context is uh, to be strong in the Lord and in the power of his might, right? So it is not, you do not fight the battle, Christ uh, fights it, right? You don't, you don't have defenses against the evil one. It's Christ who is your defense. You see, you stand in him. That's why the, the language of the armament is to be another way of really just saying that you're clothed with Christ. So this armor of God um, is, again, a defensive armor that you would be able to stand against the wiles of the devil. So who's the real enemy? Satan, right? The deceiver. Um, and again, then, what's the kind of warfare that's going to happen? Is it with your body? Not so much. The warf, although the way that we, um, uh, if we hurt, or, excuse me, if we are, uh, somehow attacked in the body. There we go. Uh, we might actually come to doubt God's word. But but the real fight is is in the battle uh, of the battlefield. Is well, really, the battlefield is a battlefield of words. That's how you might say it. So, um, God's word against the deceiver's word. We do not wrestle against flesh and blood. Then, right? so your neighbor is not your enemy. Uh, the Palestinians aren't your enemy. Um, the Israelis aren't your enemy. Ukrainians or Russians aren't your enemy. Mm-hmm. These are flesh and blood. But we're, the, the enemy are the principalities, powers, and rulers of the darkness of this age. By the way, principalities, powers, and rulers, these are um, widely understood, and you can get this from extra-biblical material, as categories of spiritual beings. Right? Um, so obviously you know of seraphim and cherubim, you know of archangels. Um, these are some other names. Uh, for spiritual, um, for the ordering of the spiritual creatures, which Paul picks up on here. Uh, principalities, you know, which we hear of like like kings, I suppose, powers and rulers of the darkness of this age. All right, so it's an age that's being brought to an end. This time, this time between our Lord's uh, defeat of the devil and uh, the final consummation of that defeat on the last day. Um, so against spiritual hosts, uh, the spiritual of wickedness in the heavenly places. So there's, um, there's often a double kind of warfare happening. There's flesh and blood, but behind flesh and blood is uh, the spiritual. So we're talking about uh, people believing false words, words spoken not by God, not from God, but by the devil, which means, well, how does one respond to this kind of spiritual attack? You're not attacking the person, but you do attack the false words that are believed, you see? Or actually, I should say you defend against the false words that are believed. So take up the whole armor of God, again, a defensive 
thing that you may be able to withstand, again, defend, uh, in the evil day, and having done all to stand rather than fall, right? So you see the Christian's call is to remain steadfast in Christ. It's another way to say that. Um, we don't have to pick fights with people. Uh, the fight usually comes to us. So stand, therefore, and then now all the different languages of the spiritual gifts that come by way of the word of Christ, right? Uh, the truth, Jesus is the truth, now is girded around your waist. Uh, righteousness, Christ is your righteousness, now is your breastplate. Um, the gospel of peace is now put on as uh, shoes upon your feet. That's the gospel of Christ. The shield of faith, faith in Christ again, uh, which defend, is your defense against all the fiery darts of the evil one. And the helmet of salvation, salvation is in Christ and him alone. So now uh, he's clothing your head of a sort. And then, of course, the spirit, the word of God is in your hand, right? Which is, again, how you make your defense is by way of the word of God um, and what God says about you in particular. So here you might think of the lovely baptismal hymn, um, God's own child, I gladly say it. I am baptized into Christ. Like the second stanza, right? Satan, drop your ugly accusation. I am not so soon enticed, right? Um, death, where is your victory? Oh, death, where is your staying? Paul would say, right? Which is that language of mocking death and saying, look, I, I believe Christ has defeated you, so you can't, um, you can't accuse me any longer. I was trying to remember the rest of uh, God's own child, some of the other ways that that hymn, um, which is new to us, but um, most people have responded very favorably uh, to it being introduced in um, the hymnal supplement and now in uh, Lutheran service book. Sin, right here again, we're going to mock sin with God's word. Disturb my soul no longer. I am baptized into Christ. I have a comfort even stronger, Jesus cleansing sacrifice. Right? So we're talking against sin or Satan. Hear this proclamation. I'm baptized into Christ. Drop your ugly accusation. I'm not so soon enticed. Death, right? So now we, we speak against death. When death, when the uh, death, our future death torments us, right? We respond with God's word. You cannot end my gladness. I am baptized into Christ. When I die, I leave all sadness to inherit paradise. Even if I lie in dust and ashes, faith assurance brightly flashes. Right? There's nothing worth comparing. Right? So that's that's what Paul is encouraging us to do. I think sometimes this Christians think that this means that uh, God has equipped you for a war and you need to go off and find fight. Find wars to fight. Find people to argue with. No, this is um, defending um, the faith given um, for the sake of your children, um, but for the sake of even your own conscience. Most of my uh, pastoral care are is, is people actually coming to me and saying, my, my friend or my family or um, a neighbor has said this, how do I respond? Right? Now, of course, it's with God's word, but, but in effect, they're asking, which word of God? What does God's word have to say about this? Right, and um, you know, an example would be: Well, um, we're I'm, I'm being asked as a citizen of this country um, to take a side and to pick, you know, um, to pick a nation, um, but for religious reasons in a foreign war. Right, that it's a holy war; it's between God's people and those who are opposed to God. Um, and I have to pick a side, right? And there's only one side: one side's good, and the other side's evil. That kind of thing. And uh, how do we respond from God's word? Well. Uh, as we've been doing with Ezekiel, right? Well, does the land that Ezekiel referred to, does that refer primarily to a, um, uh, a parcel of property um, on, the, on the coast of the Mediterranean occupied by a certain group of people? No. No, it's referring to the eternal land, the promised land, right? And that's the right response then. You can respond from God's word and say, I'm actually not going to pick a side in this, except for the side of humanity. 
um, protecting life and property and uh, reputation and uh, family, right? Which the uh, the Ten Commandments uh, instruct me to do, right? And that also means that um, that Christians tend to avoid war. <laughs> we're just not interested in fighting wars because we're interested in preserving life and property and possessions, and all of those things are are um, damaged or or eliminated or or removed, right? In war, that doesn't mean that sometimes it's not necessary, but um, under only great reluctance would we involve ourselves in such things. All right. And again, um, I think the language here is is helpful because in regards to faith, we defend the faith, right, when it is attacked. Um, in the same way, uh, we defend ourselves when we are attacked physically, right? Um, but I don't see a call here to be offensive, right, to go around offending, right, and fighting in that kind of, kind of way, but simply to speak and uh, when the attacks come to defend. Right, and God has given you the means of defense. I think that's the important thing. Oh, you want to connect this to the Genesis story? Go to Genesis chapter three, right? And again, um, Adam and Eve, their failure is the failure to defend God's word. Now you look at it and you say, "What's well, a fa- failure to obey God's word?" Well, certainly, of course, they did what God said not to do. But when Satan um, brought brought his lies, uh, initially Eve defends God's word and says, "Well, no, God said this; He didn't say that." Initially, she does well. But Adam fails in his defense to defend both her. And when God um, comes after them, he doesn't take the blame. He blames the woman rather than actually um, being the sacrificial um, husband who says, no, I was responsible for her and I failed in my duty. All sorts of ways that they fail to fall back onto what they clearly knew already from what God had spoken to them. All right. And that's, I think that's if you want to look to failures within the Christian church, is it, it's being prepared to make a defense for the hope that is in us, right? And instead, either being an offense to others um, or refusing to defend God's word uh, when it is attacked. All right. And uh, yeah, we see actually the same thing here from the gospel text for this feast day. And again, it's the feast of St. Simon and St. Jude. All right. October 28th, of course. So, uh, before we read the gospel text, uh, let me read you a meditation on the day. Today, the Holy Church offers God praise and thanks for his servants, St. Simon and St. Jude, apostles. Whenever the list of twelve apostles are listed, Judas Iscariot is listed last. Immediately before him are Simon the Zealot and Jude, or Judas, the son of James, apparently also called Thaddeus. The New Testament itself records little about these men other than their names as being among the twelve, and therefore witnesses to much of our Lord's ministry, and above all, the events of Holy Week and Easter. They would have eaten the supper with their master and heard the farewell discourse on Holy Thursday, during which John records Jude asking a question of the Lord, John 14, 22. They would have accompanied Christ to the garden and then run away following his arrest. They would have been in the upper room on Easter evening when the Lord first appeared to the gathered apostles, and likewise the following week when he revealed himself again to beckon Thomas from his unbelief. They would have witnessed the ascension of their Lord they participated in the election of Matthias to complete their number. They were present at the miracle of Pentecost when the risen Lord poured out his spirit upon them, and they proclaimed the praises of God in languages they had never learned. They were arrested when the high priest sought to silence all the apostles, but they were released from prison by an angel who instructed them, go and stand in the temple and speak to the people all the words of this life. Acts 5, 17-21. All right, so we have to just based on uh, the testimony of Luke in, in the book of Acts, uh, recognize that they were present at all these events, um, even if they were not uniquely named. 
All right. Then, according to tradition of the church, after the dispersion of the apostles, St. Simon and Jude traveled together as far as Persia, bringing the message of salvation to any who would hear. While there, both suffered martyrdom for the holy name of Jesus. The symbol of the church employs for St. Simon is a fish on top of a book. This reminds us that he went forth as a fisher of men, proclaiming the good news from the divine word, the good news of Christ, right? The symbol of St. Jude or Thaddeus in the church is a ship with the wind filling its sail upon the sign, and upon the sail the sign of the Holy Cross. This is a great reminder of the great distances that Jude traveled with his friend St. Simon, filled with the Holy Spirit, to bring the good news of salvation and gather heathen into the saving ark of the, of the Christian church. Surely it was a comfort to these two, as they faced death, to recall the gracious promise they had heard from the Lord's lips on the night of his betrayal. Go, I prepare a place for you. All right. So, uh, and that comes right before the reading that you have before you. John chapter 15. This is Jesus speaking certainly to St. Simon and St. Jude on that night that he was betrayed. These things I command you, that you love one another. If the world hates you, you know that it hated me before it hated you. If you were of the world, the world would love you, or love its own. Yet because you are not of the world, but I chose you out of the world, therefore the world hates you. Remember the word that I said to you, a servant is not greater than his master. If they persecuted me, they will also persecute you. If they kept my word, they would keep yours also. But all these things they will do to you for my name's sake, because they do not know him who sent me. In other words, the Father. All right. Um, it is interesting the way that this word is understood by the apostles uh, in that reading from Acts chapter 5, which you can go and read, uh, when the disciples are persecuted, namely Peter and John, and uh, they are beaten with whips, and then Peter, or flogged, I should say, with a cat of nine tails, and then Peter and John go away rejoicing. And uh, I asked the children about this in our catechesis um, this last week, uh, because the younger children are going through the book of Acts. And, um, you know, how is it that you could rejoice after being beaten unjustly, really, for doing nothing, just simply being uh, preaching in the name of Jesus, which they had been repeatedly told not to do, and they kept, yet they kept doing? And I think it's this text, this instruction that Jesus gave them on the night he was betrayed, is saying, look, you're going to suffer the way I suffer, and when you do, count it as joy. No one is greater than his master. If you preach in my name, my word, um, don't be surprised that when attacks come, again, to the Ephesians text, um, but when these attacks come, um, both be prepared to make a defense, that the word be defended, um, but also uh, recognize that uh, such suffering for my name's sake, that is, for the preaching of my word, um, that it will come, and that that's a, that can be understood as a sign of, um, well, that you're preaching faithfully or truthfully. This is a hard thing for uh, pastors to learn, I think, in particular, in that um, we want to be liked, we want to be um, heard, we want people to enjoy and uh, be entertained and delighted, and we want people, well, really just to be receptive, right? To come and receive the gifts that God gives. And yet, we also know that that the word of Jesus is an offense and a stumbling block, namely his cross. And that means that not everyone will receive it readily and with, with faith. Um, some will reject and actually seek to make your life and the life of the congregation uh, difficult. This is where the office of the keys is rightly administered, is that those who live in persistent unbelief, that is, they rebel against God's word and they refuse to hear God's word, uh, need to be brought to an account for their own sake, that they repent and believe the gospel again, um, but also for the sake of the congregation, 
that um, those that would spy out our freedom that we have in Christ and undermined it um, actually be um, cast out, right? Again, for their sake, that they repent and believe the gospel, but also for the sake of the congregation, that the unity of the Spirit be preserved. So our failure to defend um, God's word when it is spoken against even by fellow Christians, even members of our own congregation, then results in most of the anguish and difficulty that we experience, I would suggest. All right. Um, That doesn't mean that the church needs to be some kind of purity cult where everybody agrees on all things all the time. Um, But what we're talking about is uh, when attacks come from within the midst, um, not with charity, but rather um, to deceive and mislead and undermine the the preaching of the gospel in that place, uh, that they need to be defended against. All right. but don't be surprised when they come, uh, because that's what happened to Christ as well. And it even happened within Christ's church, which is also hard to hear. Uh, but you can read about Ananias and Sapphira. You can read about all the conflicts in the churches of Ephesus or Galatia or Colossae or Philippi. Okay, um, you put sinners together in a room, you're gonna you're gonna have conflict um, because you where you have God's re- rebellion against God's word, you're gonna have rebellion against one another as well. All right. Uh, but there, there is a proper defense, and that's the way that Christ equips us with his word and spirit. Okay, let's sing our hymn. And as I promised yesterday, I said we could sing the whole thing today, so let's just do that. We have time, yes? Christ my 
What a lovely hymn, huh? And we don't even know who wrote it. How's that? No problem. Let us pray today for St. Simon and St. Jude. Almighty God, you chose your servants, Simon and Jude, to be numbered among the glorious company of the apostles. As they were faithful and zealous in their mission, so may we, with ardent devotion, make known the love and mercy of our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ, who lives and reigns with you and the Holy Spirit, one God, now and forever. Amen. We pray. O Lord, grant to your faithful people pardon and peace that they may be cleansed from all their sins and serve you with a quiet mind. Through Jesus Christ, your Son, our Lord, who lives and reigns with you and the Holy Spirit, one God, now and forever. Amen. We pray uh, this day for faithfulness to the end, for the renewal of those who are withering in the faith or have fallen away, for pastors as they prepare to administer Christ's holy gifts, and for receptive hearts and minds on the Lord's day. Let us pray to the Lord. Lord, have mercy. We pray for the households of our church, especially this week, with T- Timothy, Joshua, Tom and Sandy, Bobby, Jim and Mardell, and Norm and Donna. Pray for our, uh, well, for those who've received the gift of healing, Marcy, and our catechumens. Those who are ill, receiving treatment, or recovering, especially Allison, Joe, Dennis, Len, Christopher, Sophie, Brad, and Ron, Doug, Donna, Joan, and Sandy, Wendell, Darlene, and President Willie. Pray for our homebound, Marcy, Marion, Dan, Paul, Dolores, Merlin, and Pauline. Pray for the missions and mercy work of the church, especially that of Orphan Grain Train. For all this, let us pray to the Lord. Lord, have mercy. Our Father, who art in heaven, hallowed be thy name. Thy kingdom come, thy will be done, on earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread, and forgive us our trespasses, as we forgive those who trespass against us. And lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. For thine is the kingdom and the power and the glory forever and ever. Amen. I thank you, my heavenly Father, through Jesus Christ, your dear Son, that you have kept me this night from all harm and danger, and I pray that you would keep me this day also from sin and every evil, that all my doings in life may please you. For into your hands I commend myself, my body and soul and all things. Let your holy angel be with me, that the evil foe may have no power over me. Amen. Let us bless the Lord. Thanks be to God. The grace of our Lord Jesus Christ and the love of God and the communion of the Holy Spirit be with you all. Amen.
That's our congregation of prayer for today, Saturday, October 28th, 2023. A little bit longer than usual, but uh, when to cover St. Simon and St. Jude for you. And uh, tomorrow we'll have uh, the 21st Sunday after Trinity, which we haven't recognized in many, many years. Another reason uh, to not uh, transfer everything to Sunday. Otherwise, uh, there's some texts that we just never actually get to read. And uh, uh, that's appropriate too. All right. And like I said, if you want to celebrate Reformation, uh, go to the Reformation Festival Sunday afternoon at uh, Trinity, excuse me, at uh, uh, at the high school, right? Sheboygan Lutheran High School. There we go. All right. So I hope to see you again in the morning. We have divine service at uh, 9 o'clock, uh, Bible study following Ezekiel chapter 38 we're going to be looking at. And uh, yeah, this is our last week on our uh, schedule. As of now, we're going to go to a new schedule uh, on the 5th. And of course, that's daylight savings as well. So <laughs> all sorts of things happening that Sunday. All right, God be with you all. Keep you safe. We'll see you again soon. We thank you for listening to this podcast from St. John Evangelical Lutheran Church Sermon Center in Random Lake, Wisconsin. If this podcast is of benefit to you, please consider supporting the work of St. John by visiting stjohnrandomlake.org. That's stjohnrandomlake.org slash support and give today.